the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Luke. Praise to the God who reigns above. Jesus has had his earthly ministry for three years up to this point in Luke. He knows the time has come to be betrayed, beaten, and crucified. Jesus began to celebrate the Passover feast with his disciples, instituting communion with the twelve, including Judas, who would betray him that night. Jesus washed the disciples' feet and prayed for them, but they still argued about who was the greatest amongst themselves. Jesus told them that to be great in the kingdom of God, you must be the least. To be the servant of all is to be greatest in the kingdom of God. We join Pastor Will in Luke chapter 22, verse 27. Christianity is not a consumer service. Did you know that? It's not a consumer service. It's funny because people say, oh, I, don't like the, I don't like the worship music here. Okay, well, you're not, it doesn't matter. It's not for you. You don't get a vote. Like, well, it's not for you. It's not, we're not singing for you. We're, not, we're doing it to him, you know? So, you know, and he, he says everything's a joyful noise. So we try to make our noises a little bit better, but... Still, the point is, it's not for you. It's not a consumer service. We are not a business offering a product. That's not what the church is. It's not a consumer environment. I don't like the pastor. I don't like that church. I don't like the way they do the lights. I don't like the carpet. I don't like this. I don't like that. I don't like the way they do their women's ministry. I don't like the way they do their men's ministry. None of that matters. In fact, none of that should ever even matter in how you choose a church. What you should do is say, Lord, where do you want me to serve? What church do you want me to serve at? That's, that's what it is. Now, it doesn't mean you don't come here and try to meet needs or bless you or whatever, because we're trying to serve you, obviously. But the point is, everyone should come with a heart that's not to be a consumer, but a servant. Can you imagine what a church would be like if every single person came and said, how can I help? How can I serve? Miss Bronda would never panic every, every time she has to get new teachers, Right? Because people just go, how can I serve? How can I bless these kids? How can I bless these socks off these kids this year like they've never had their socks blessed off before? Christianity, it's, it's not just not a consumer experience. It's not even a give and take experience. It's not a, well, you know, pastor, if you do good for me, I'll do good for you. But the minute you do bad for me, I'm gone. Do you know how hurt people are here when someone just ups and leaves? Most of the time it's because they got mad at me or somebody else who's in leadership somewhere. And they'll get mad, and then they'll just go. And I'll have people that will come to me and say, hey, where did so-and-so go? I say, well, I think they left. I think they're going to another church. Really? Why? Why didn't they let me know? Why didn't they say goodbye? I, I can't tell you how many times I hear these words. I thought I was their friend. Do you know how many times I hear? I've done this for 23 years. How many times I've heard those words? I thought I was their friend. Friendship isn't a give-and-take experience. It's a lay down your life for someone else experience. And that's what the Christian experience is as well. It's not a consumer service. It's not a give and take 
experience. It's a lay down your life for others' experience. See, the way the world views things, it's completely upside down. Thinking I'm better and, or I deserve this or I should be the one served in this situation. It's upside down. And we know that that's true because this verse that we said here, the younger and the, the servant, the waiter, that's the mindset Jesus took. That's the role Jesus took. Look at verse 27. He says, for which is greater? He that sits down to eat or he that serves? You know, when you go down to eat, who's, who's in the more authoritative position at that point in time? Well, you are. You're the guest, right? And the customer's always right. So they've got to serve you if they're going to keep their job, if they want to keep your business, they've got to take care of you. So in that situation, that scenario, the way the, the world does it, you would be considered the greater. No different back then. Of course, he says, it's he that does it, is not he that sits down to eat. But then Jesus shows the contrast, verse 27. But is that what I did tonight? No. I am among you as he that serves. He says, you see how upside down things are? Obviously, I don't like going somewhere and getting bad service. And uh, certainly, I will not necessarily frequent a place that's going to give bad service. But one of my chief concerns when I go somewhere is not being served, even though I'm paying for it. One of my, my chief goals is how can I be a light? How can, how can my family be a light? So if they make a comment and say, man, your kids are so well-behaved, I say, well, it's all Jesus because <laughs> it's not us. We're still learning as parents. And then sometimes their eyes glaze over or sometimes, you know, they get, I'll write verses on my, you know, when I tip them. I always tip well too, by the way, whether they deserve it or not because I want to leave a good testimony. And I leave a verse, they tell them God loves them. So that's not fair. That's not just. Spoken like a true American, but not spoken like a Christian. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. I don't know about you, but I need a lot of mercy. Jesus, he served them. Even though they're arguing, he served them. Even though he knew they'd be arguing, he served them the Passover meal. He washed their feet, and he was about to die for them on the cross. Listen, if Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who has the highest status, if he can adopt that mentality and act this way, then what's my excuse? I don't have one. John, the apostle, in his gospel, elaborates on Jesus' teaching about this that night in John 13 when he says, you call me master and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. That's true. If I then, your Lord and master, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. You know I'm your Lord. You know I'm your master. But look at what I've done. Do you see how different that is from the way kings operate? Your idea of leadership, do you see how different it is? I am among you as one who serves. You're not greater than me. (laughs) The servant is not greater than his master. So you call me master, that's right. So why should you do any differently? He says, you'll be so blessed if you understand this truth and you live it out. Understanding and living out this truth is one of the keys to a blessed life. Giving your life away. Giving your life away. J.C. Ryle said this. He said, Ambition, self-esteem, and self-conceit lie deep at the bottom of all men's hearts and often in the hearts where they are least suspected. Self-esteem. 
me and Bev were having a conversation last night because, you know, our kids are taught all the time, you know, you need to have self-esteem, you need to have self-esteem. What a demonic teaching. Seriously, what a demonic teaching. Can I just exhort you, lovingly exhort you? Please don't listen to people like Joel Osteen. This is not about you feeling wonderful, all right? Like, like I tell my kids all the time, life isn't about having fun. Life isn't about having a good time. Life isn't about doing whatever you need to do to be happy. Life isn't doing what you, I'm gonna give you a four-letter word here, so just, you know, maybe you wanna close your ears. Life isn't about how you feel. I don't feel like loving my spouse sometimes. I don't feel like being a good dad sometimes. I don't feel like being a good pastor sometimes. I don't feel like doing a lot of different things that I know I'm supposed to do. Obedience isn't about feeling. It's about a choice, an act of the will. We don't need self-esteem. Here's the cool thing. To know that I'm not good, that I'm not wonderful, and I'm not smart, and I'm not special, and that the one who knows the deepest, darkest, ugliest parts of me still loves me immensely. Why do I need (laughs) self-esteem? I don't need any of that junk. I'm loved by the one who knows me even though I'm not good. Even though I'm not wonderful. Even though I am lousy a lot of the time. And he still loves me and he proved it when he died for me on the cross. And he's still serving me and he's still blessing me and he's still working in my life. Self-esteem is demonic. It's, It's so unbiblical. Because it seeks to take the thing, God's love, which is supposed to undergird us and be the foundation of our lives and supplant it with sand. Because I don't know about you, there are many days when I look at myself and I get the accurate look of what's inside this ugly place. And it's so, sometimes it's hard to bear. It causes despair. Do you think I'm capable of that? I'm capable of thinking that? I'm capable of saying that and doing that? But I don't despair because I know I'm loved by the one who knows all that. And his passion for me is blazing and never dimming. Ambition, self-esteem, self-conceit, Ryle says, lie deep at the bottom of all men's hearts and often in the hearts where they're least expected. Thousands fancy that they are humble who cannot bear to see an equal more honored and favored than themselves. Few indeed can be found to rejoice heartily in a neighbor's promotion over their own heads. Let us live on our guard against this sore disease if we make any profession of serving Christ. Let us learn to take pleasure in the prosperity of others and to be content with the lowest place for ourselves. John the Baptist understood this concept. When his disciples came to him and they said, John, Jesus baptized more people than you are. What's John the Baptist supposed to do? We need a better marketing campaign. We need a better worship band. We need to spice some things up here. We, we, we need a better YouTube account. I mean, what? what it, no, you know what John said? He goes, listen, in a wedding, he goes, does the bridegroom get jealous because all the attention's on the groom and the bride? I mean, could you imagine what that would be like at a wedding? You're at the wedding and everybody's watching the bride come down and the, and the groom smile at his bride. You know, he's about to, they're about to become married. And now you see the maid of honor up there like this must be nice. Everybody knew what she thought last night. They wouldn't be thinking this about her. Nobody notices me. Nobody, know, you know, nobody notices me. I was here three hours before they all were. You, you wouldn't have little flowers on your tables, one for me. You'd be appalled at something like that. You'd be like, you selfish brat, what is your problem? I love, one of my favorite things to do is to see 
that moment when the bride comes in. Because all eyes are on the bride or on the groom. You know, and a lot of people, if they have more attachment to the groom, they look at him, look at, watching him look at his bride. And you see all those people there who are their closest friends, who are there supporting them. And all their eyes are on their friends instead of on themselves. It's a very special moment because everything kind of comes into focus. I'm there for them right now. Everything comes into focus. And there are so many things we do at our wedding that are traditional that people don't even remember why they do them. Like, I try to explain this to the couples when they do a wedding. I said, like, for example, I said, do you know why you come walking down the aisle and the bride's family is on one side and the groom's on the other side and why the family's up front and, you know, and maybe the people that maybe work connections are maybe toward the back or whatever, you know, and your friends are in the middle or whatever it might be. And the reason is, is because you're telling everyone, no matter what level of importance they have in your life or connection they have in your life, you're telling every one of them, you are now going to become second. And that's why those, those people, those people aren't up there, they call the maid of honor, but you're not up there to be honored as a friend. Traditionally, you're up there because the, the person is testifying to you, you're my best friend until now. You're my sister. You know, the one I always shared everything with until now, because now it's going to be this person. Every one of you are going to be second from now on. And we understand that in concept and in theory when the wedding takes place, even if we don't understand all the traditions that go with it. We get that. And it's why we would be appalled if someone would go, I don't understand, you know, everybody's making it about the bride. I'm the mother of the bride. Why, why isn't anybody looking at me? You know, I've got this special dress I've worn. You know, I just, I don't understand. I'm not even going to go, I'm not even going to the receiving line because nobody has noticed me. We would be appalled by that then why is it that we think we can have the attitude here of, well, how come I didn't get chosen to sing that solo? Or why didn't I get chosen to be the assistant pastor? Or for this ministry or that ministry? You know, I'm just not going to serve anymore. I'm not going to go to that church. It's no less appalling. John said, I must decrease and he might, that he might increase. I'm cool with that is what he said. He, was, he had this mentality. I'm fine with that. You know, my job as a pastor is to put myself out of a job. You know, my job is to make disciples, to equip you for the work of the ministry so that everybody is doing, doing the ministry. And if someone goes past me because they fell more in love with Jesus, why would I be upset? Or why should you be upset because the attention is not on you anymore, me? So does that attitude describe you? that humble, younger, waiter, server mentality. While the disciples were incredibly prideful and insensitive to bring this argument up at this time, hours before his arrest, it does have one positive side to it, though. Because to argue about who's the greatest in God's kingdom means you still believe Jesus is bringing a kingdom, right? You haven't given up that hope. And despite all the danger that was in front of them, they did still believe this. So after the lesson on true greatness, Jesus gives them a wonderful promise because of their faith. He says to him in verse 28, you are they which have continued with me in my temptations. And I appoint unto you a kingdom as my father has appointed unto me, that you may eat and drink of my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus gives them a beautiful promise here. He says to them, you are they which have continued with me in my temptations. The word continued here means to remain in an association with someone. The word temptations means dangers or trials, not like temptation to sin. So the disciples, he says, you, all of you, you've stuck with me even though I'm in danger right now. 
Many started with Jesus three and a half years ago when he began his public ministry. But these guys had stuck with Jesus even though it put their lives in danger. In John chapter 11, when word came to Jesus that Lazarus was sick, Jesus said, guys, we're going to go down to Jerusalem to see Lazarus. And they said, Master, they said, if you showed your face here again, they would kill you. I mean, you go down there and you're signing your own death warrant. And Jesus said, nevertheless, we're going to go. And Thomas, you got to love him. He goes, guys, let's go die with him. He's definitely pessimistic. That's why we call him Doubting Thomas. But it's probably not fair because he he probably should be called Courageous Thomas because he's the guy who fully knew how bad it could get. As pessimistic as he could be, he saw all the the horrible things that could happen and he still went. And he urged the others to follow him. Let's go die with our our Lord. So they did put themselves in danger. They, They had continued with him even in the most difficult times. And because of that faithfulness to Jesus, they will have a unique reward. He says, and I appoint unto you a kingdom as my father has appointed unto me. The word appoint means to assign or confer the right to rule. I have given you the right to rule just as my father has given me the right to rule. Now, Jesus was given the right to rule over the entire world for a thousand years by his father. And with that sovereign authority, now Jesus resolves that they will reign during that thousand years with him. Now, what exactly does that mean, though? And is it unique that they will reign with him to our promise that we will rule and reign with Jesus? Well, look at verse 30. What does it mean that they'll reign with him? He says, number one, that you, will, you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. And number two, that you'll sit on, the thrones, on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, this is really cool because Jesus has just told them, I'm not going to celebrate this Passover feast until I celebrate it in the kingdom. But he tells them, when I celebrate it in my kingdom again, you'll be there with me. You'll be there with me. You're not going to be on some outer table, some outer court. You're not going to have to watch via live feed, simulcast. You'll get to be at my table with me. And how special that must have been for these guys after Jesus rose from the dead and ascended to heaven and they were left alone on their own and then began to be persecuted. It's almost like Jesus said, this isn't the last Passover we'll celebrate together. It's just the last one for a while. We will be together and celebrate this again and we'll do it for a thousand years. And that promise is one of the things that these disciples clung to when they were being arrested, when they were being beaten for their faith, and when they would be killed for their faith. That they were gonna be with Jesus in his kingdom. Now, all believers have that promise. We all have that promise to rule and reign with him, to have a seat at his table in his kingdom. Look at Revelation chapter two with me. And I'm gonna try to wrap this up pretty quick, but just turn, I wanna read you some verses from Revelation. Because I think it's important to understand that all Christians have this promise. You won't get a shack somewhere on the outskirts of the New Jerusalem. You have an address in the New Jerusalem. You will eat and dine with Jesus for those thousand years. Revelation chapter 2, verses 26 and 27. We're going to actually see three promises made to three different churches. That's how we know they apply to all believers. Revelation 2, 26. And to he that overcomes and keeps my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received as my father. You're going to reign with over the nations, even as I will reign and have received that authority from my father. Look at Revelation 3.12. 
To him that overcomes will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. He shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. You're going to be a pillar, not a temporary fixture in Jesus's temple there in the millennium. You will have access anytime you want it. You'll be a pillar there. Revelation 3.21, we read it in our scripture reading. To him that overcomes will I grant to sit with me on my throne, even as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Look at Revelation 20, verse 4. It says, And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. That's one group. Let me see a second group. I also saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. So we have two groups here. The second is the tribulation saints. And then the first one we'll identify in a bit. And they, group one and group two, lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that has part in the first resurrection. Who has part in the first resurrection? Every believer. Not at the same time, but every believer. That's a whole different study. But every believer has part in the first resurrection. On such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall what? Reign with him a thousand years. We are they that sat on them. They that sat on the thrones. 2 Timothy 2.12, if we suffer with him, we shall also reign with him. 1 Corinthians 6, 2 and 3, it says, you know, don't you know you're going to judge angels? If those who are going to judge the world can't deal with their own problems inside the church, we've got issues. We're going to judge the world. We're going to rule and reign with Christ. So we will have a seat at that table as well. But where it's special or unique for these guys is the second part. He says, and you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So this is where it's unique for them. And this should have put all their arguments down. None of them could argue who was going to be special, who was going to be chosen, because Jesus here tells them, you're all chosen. <laughs> all of you will reign over the tribes of Israel with me. There's no stratosphere. There's no status fear. There's none of that here. You will, all of you, reign with me. Rule and govern over the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, these, they won't be kings over the 12 tribes of Israel. The Bible says that David will be the king over Israel in Jerusalem. Now, Jesus, of course, will be king of the earth. David will be king of Israel. And, but these guys will take more of that Old Testament judge role where they will rule and govern as it concerns dealing with those who tried to commit crimes. They'll be the ones who stop them immediately, keep them from happening, and they'll do that over the 12 tribes of Israel. So while we will be assigned some other region to rule over with Christ during the millennium, these men will have the privilege of doing so over Israel. So this is their special blessing for continuing with him while they were in danger. But listen, if we want to be like Jesus, that's what being a Christian means, means to be like Christ, someone who follows Christ. Being like the master means adopting his mindset the mindset of the younger, the mindset of the servant. And the Bible says that when we do that faithfully, there is a reward for us as well. Just as these guys had a unique reward, there will be unique rewards for us as we are faithful to do that. So my encouragement to you is lay down your life, your own good impression of yourself, your own idea of nobility, 
Lay down your life for others like Jesus did for you. Deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow him because that's the path to true servanthood. Let's all stand. Lord, you didn't call us to an easy path. In fact, you said the way is narrow and it's hard. Lord, my flesh doesn't want to die. My flesh doesn't want to lay its life down. But that's what you call us to do, Lord. And, and it's because you did it first for us. So the idea, we love you. We lay our lives down because you loved us first. So Lord, with that understanding of being loved by you immensely, unconditionally, unfailingly, Lord, we choose now to be servants, to lay our lives down, to not think of ourselves more highly than we ought, but to be sober of mind, to adopt the mindset of the younger, to, if we see a thing that needs to get done, just to take care of it, not wait for someone else to take care of it, to adopt the mindset of the menial task person, to never think ourselves above what you might be calling us to do, whether it's to change a diaper, do dishes, serve kids, serve adults, whatever it might be, Lord, we choose to be the younger and the servant. That's what you told us to do today. And we choose to be obedient to you in that. Fill us with your spirit, Lord, so we might live it out, our commitment. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God's love is perfectly seen on the cross. He was betrayed, bruised, broken, and forsaken on our behalf. Jesus died for his betrayers, the very people that rejected him and hated him. He died for people like Judas and Peter. He died for all sorts of failures and sinners. And yet, there was the joy set before him that we would be called sons and daughters of the Most High God. This is God's love on display for us. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.